and welcome to Sabbath School Study Hour. I'm Pastor Aaron Cruz and I'm going to be the instructor, the teacher for today to guide us through, walk us through this week's lesson. But before we get started, I want to share with you uh, today's free, free offer. And it's a pamphlet entitled Alone in the Crowd, written by Joe Cruz. Actually, that's my grandfather. And if you would like this resource, Alone in the Crowd, sometimes we have to stand up for our faith and we're the only ones in the midst of a big group of people. If you want this offer, just go ahead and call 866 788 3966. That's 866 Study More. And ask for offer number 714. If you live in the United States of America, you can also simply text SH0042 40544. And if you live outside of North America, you can go to study.aftv.org forward slash SH004. So now that we've gotten that out of the way, it's time to dive into our study. Why don't you please uh, bow your heads and pray with me as we begin. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you enlighten our minds to understand what it means to be truly motivated and truly prepared to do and fulfill your mission. Please guide us in this study, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I just mentioned in my prayer, today's lesson is lesson number six of this quarterly, and it's entitled, Motivation and Preparation for Mission. This is a big topic of which we're only going to be able to somewhat skim the surface, if you will, um, looking at some of the vast richness of which Scripture provides for what should be our genuine motivation and preparation when doing mission for God. Where the lesson begins, which I think is a great spot, is in Philippians chapter 1, where Paul writes in verse 15, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. This is quite a fascinating statement from the Apostle Paul, who said, hey, look, some peop people preach about Jesus with bad intention, with bad motivation, and others preach it in the right way, with sincere motives. However, Paul says, as long as Christ is being cre preached, that's what matters. Praise the Lord. Now, that's a very positive, optimistic attitude if I ever saw one. However, I agree with the quarterly on page 46 that says, ideally, though, 
our motives for preaching Christ, for mission, for reaching others with the good news, should be out of love and out of truth and not from selfish ambition, envy, or strife. So we want to look at those pure motives that Scripture uh, points to for what should be our catalyst for doing mission with um, mission of the gospel to the unreached. Now, our lesson covers through Luke, primarily through Luke chapter 4 and then on into the early chapters of Acts, Acts chapters 1 and 2. And I think this is a really good place to focus in on when we're talking about mission, motivation, and preparation. And that's because at the end of Jesus's life, after he was resurrected from the dead, he spent 40 days with his disciples. And during this time, Jesus was giving his last bit of instruction and teaching to prepare the 12 disciples and the many more that were uh, along for the ride to be prepared to preach the gospel into the whole world. And then in Acts chapter 1 and 2, we see, now that Jesus has left, ascended to heaven, we see their preparations as they're getting ready for that great day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came and they began preaching the, the gospel and it went spreading like wildfire. So we're going to look at and, and, and pick up seven Ps. <laughs> I, I glean from this lesson. Some of them are in the lesson. Some of them I've, I've sort of uh, added to the lesson, but they're found in the, in the passages of Acts and, and Luke as well. And there are seven Ps that we are going to be working through in this lesson. Seven Ps. Seven. Uh, I had six earlier today, and uh, I said, well, I actually had seven, and then a colleague of mine said, why don't you include the seventh one? So I was like, hey, that's good. It's a perfect number. So here are the seven Ps that will help us walk through the correct motivation and preparation that we need for motivation. Uh, excuse me, for mission. The first one is personal experience. The second is a grounding in prophecy and the word of God. The third is promise, clinging to the promises of God. Fourth is prayer. Then next is planning logistically for mission. Then sixth is the power for mission. And seventh is persecution. We need to be prepared for persecution that will inevitably come to those who are doing genuine missionary work. So these are the seven P's of the motivation and preparation for mission that we're going to be walking through today. The first one is the most important, of which none of the rest are going to work. Okay? The other ones... Yeah, I, I put the first one, personal experience, as number one because it's the most important. The rest of them don't, aren't necessarily having to be in the order in which we go through them. However, there is no cutting the corner, getting around the most important uh, P, and that is personal experience. If you do not have a personal experience with Christ, then you simply cannot do mission. Let's go to Luke 24, where the lesson begins. In Luke 24, we read about Jesus on that resurrection day, and he's walking with a couple of disciples. And along the way of walking, he's, you know, striking up some conversation, and, and they're saying, hey, you, 
haven't you heard about the Messiah and how he died and we thought it was him, and, but it must not be him. And, and Jesus is asking them some questions. And, and then Jesus opens up to their mind a Bible study. He begins to sh- point out to them places in Scripture that pointed to exactly what had to happen to the Messiah um, of his sufferings, his death, and his resurrection. And then after Jesus departed from them, The disciples said to one another, Luke 24, verse 32, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? You see, these disciples had a personal encounter with the risen Christ. Their hearts burned within them as Jesus shared with them the truths of scripture. This reminds us of Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 9, where Jeremiah writes, His word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Jeremiah is saying, man, I have this intimate, close relationship with Jesus, and his word is filling my heart, and it's like a fire. And I am compelled to share that which Christ, which God has told me. This is a living relationship, a personal experience. Notice what we read about with King David after he, after he uh, had a massive misstep in sin with Bathsheba and the murdering of her husband. He finally repented. And we read in Psalm 51 of his confession, of his cry for uh, forgiveness and his ultimate repentance. We read in Psalm 51, starting in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Notice key word, verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. You see, King David here, his focus was, hey, look, if I'm going to be a missionary, if I'm going to teach transgressors your way, I need to be right with God. I need to have a personal experience of salvation and of forgiveness. I need the restoration of the joy of salvation. Then he says, I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Before he could preach the gospel, he must first live the gospel in his life. Of probably no other character in the Bible do we see this drastic personal encounter with Christ leading to missionary work more than we do the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 8, Paul, or rather Saul, being named at that time, was consenting to the death of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. And Saul was adamant to persecute and kill Christians. And on his way to Damascus, on the road there, we read in Acts chapter 9 that Paul, that Jesus showed up to Paul miraculously, knocking him off his horse. And, and he was blinded by the experience. And Paul said to, 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 to his Lord, Who are you, Lord? 
Then Jesus, the Lord, said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Paul did not realize that Jesus was truly God, was truly the Lord. But here, he's having a personal encounter with Jesus, the Messiah. And then he went in and linked up with uh, Ananias and was baptized. And he went off for three years and he restudied the scriptures, deepening, seeing that scriptures were ultimately pointing to Jesus that Jesus was the way to eternal life. And once he was filled with this relationship, this love of Jesus, he was compelled to go and preach the, the gospel. And so the greatest missionary in the New Testament, other than Jesus himself, is the Apostle Paul. We read of Paul's fire for Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13, where he writes, If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. See, Paul is saying some people, when they hear me preaching the gospel, I get excited. I get a little animated and, and people look at me and they're like, this guy is out of his mind. And, and, it, and it turned them off on some occasion. And so Paul is saying, hey, look, if we seem to be out of our mind, it's because the love of Christ compels us. And there's nothing I can do but proclaim the gospel as a missionary to the world. And so he says, but if I appear in my right mind and I, I put on a nice, you know, robe and, and everything's nice and I'm speaking, you know, calmly to you, I'm doing that because I'm, I'm trying to re restrain that by not seeming crazy, right? And so the point here is, is that for Paul, Christ's love is what compelled him to missionary work. We read similarly in Philippians chapter 3, after Paul goes through a number of verses explaining that he counts all of his previous life as rubbish compared to the marvelous riches that he's found in Christ. He then writes in Philippians 3 verse 12, not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it. Notice the motivation. Because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Paul was motivated by Jesus laying hold of him. John writes in 1 John chapter 4, we love him because he first loved us. Then back to Paul in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, he writes, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is speaking personally. He said, Christ, sure, he died for the world, but Paul says he also died individually for me. Notice King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4, after having a personal encounter with, with God and God humbling, humbling him quite literally for seven years and him being restored to his sanity, he gives glory and praise to the true living God, not to the false idols that he once worshipped. And here in Daniel 4 verse 2, he says, I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. Nebuchadnezzar, like Paul, had a 
personal relationship, a personal encounter with God. And he says, this is what God has done and worked in and for me. One more, or two more examples here. We have Luke chapter 8. Uh, this, is, this is the demoniac who is healed by Jesus. And picking it up in Luke 8 verse 39, Jesus tells him to return to his own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus has done for him. For him. And then here's the last one. Jesus healed a blind man in John chapter 9. And this blind man went walking around and, and, and the, the religious authorities saw him and they asked him about this Jesus. And, and, and he, he said, all these questions I don't know, but one thing... There is one thing I do know. I don't know who, Jesus, who this man Jesus is. I don't know where he came from. I don't know where he is now. But one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. Amen? This blind person said, look, <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know much about doctrine. I don't know much about theology. I don't know, I don't know where Jesus is at, right? These things I'm still going to learn. But all I know is this. I was blind, and Jesus touched me. And now I can see. This is the great motivation for mission, is to have this personal encounter with Christ. Notice what we read in the book uh, Evangelism, written by Ellen White. Um, she goes and she explains the, the, in, the great significance of true, genuine missionary work, and it's primarily done through a personal testimony. Notice this. She writes, Visit your neighbors and show an interest in the salvation of their souls. Arouse every spiritual energy to action. The Lord Jesus Christ will open the door of their hearts and will make upon their minds lasting impressions. Strive to arouse men and women from their spiritual insensibility. Tell those whom you, have, whom you visit that the end of all things is at hand. Tell them, here's the personal testimony, tell them how you found Jesus and how blessed you have been since you gained an experience in his service. Tell them what blessing comes to you as you sit at the feet of Jesus and learn precious lessons from his word. Tell them of the gladness and joy that there is in the Christian life. Your, worm, your warm, fervent words will convince them that you have found the pearl of great price. Let your cheerful, encouraging words show that you have certainly found the higher way. Notice what she says. This is genuine missionary work. And as it is done, many will awake as from a dream. Here, Ellen White says unequivocally, genuine missionary work is rooted in a lived experience with Jesus, a transformed life in a simple sharing of one's faith. Here I summarize, well, I, I just broke up. You can see the five points that Ellen White uh, focuses on that we should share. Focus on that the end of all things is at, ha at hand. We found Jesus, how blessed the experience has been uh, worshiping him, serving him. How, the blessing of experience, of learning and studying in his word, and the gladness and joy that you experience in the Christian life. Jesus says in John chapter 15, without me, you can do how much? Nothing. 
No missionary work can be done apart from Christ. Nothing can truly be successful apart from Christ. I like to put it this way. You're either a missionary or a mission field. You're either a missionary or a mission field. The love of Christ either compels you so much that you can't shut it up in your bones, in your mouth, and you have to share it with other people. If you have not yet had that living connection, that that living relationship, that conversion experience with Christ, then you're not going to be successful as a missionary. And you're probably, most certainly still, a mission field. But I would encourage you to reach after Christ, long after Christ. Say, Christ, I can't live without you. I can't do anything apart from you. Give me that conversion experience so that I can taste of salvation and so that I can teach others and be a missionary for you and your kingdom. That is the number one and most important motivation for mission. Now, moving on to the next point, prophecy. Luke chapter 24 and verse 25. Then he said to them, these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Notice, all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You see, the disciples, sure, they had a relationship with Jesus, both before his resurrection and after, when their hearts were burning within them, when, knowing that they were walking with Jesus. However, what's interesting is before Jesus made known himself to these disciples, he wanted the disciples to know from Scripture, from fulfilled prophecy, that he indeed was the Messiah, that the Messiah had to suffer and die because that's exactly what prophecy foretold would happen. And so he opened to their minds and showed them in all of Scripture the prophecies concerning himself. A few verses later, he appears to all of the disciples and he tells them in verse 44, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Friends, we need to have an experience with Jesus, a one-on-one personal relationship. However, we also need to ground that relationship in the word of God. We learn of Jesus from Scripture. The disciples 2,000 years ago had the privilege of actually interacting with Jesus and touching his flesh and walking with him day by day. We can still have that, but it's by faith. And we interact with Jesus primarily through his word and through prayer. Notice what the author writes on page 48 of the lesson. He says, our experiences with Jesus cannot be sustained without the foundation of his word including the prophecies that point to the history and events leading up to and including the first and second advents of Christ. With these truths firmly understood, we can be ready and motivated for mission. I love that. I love that. Now, you might 
ask yourself the question, or you might tell yourself, well, you know, Pastor Aaron, that's good, and I feel like I do have a personal relationship with Jesus, and I do know some things of the Word of God in prophecy, but I feel like I don't know enough. I'm not prepared enough to go out and, you know, share the gospel with someone. Do you need to have a PhD in biblical studies before you go out? It is necessary to have a some kind of a preparation through studying scripture, but how much do we need to know before we go? Well, notice what we read in Christ Object Lessons, page 354. She writes, he who begins with a little knowledge, notice, a little knowledge in a humble way and tells what he knows while seeking diligently for further knowledge will find the whole heavenly treasure awaiting his demand. The more he seeks to impart light, the more light he will receive. The more one tries to explain the word of God to others with a love for souls, the plainer it becomes to himself. So friends, if you're worried about, well, I don't know enough, beloved, all you need to have is a little. All you need is a, is a little knowledge of scripture and a big knowledge of an experience with Jesus. Have that experience with Jesus, and what little you know, share it with people. And that little will become more and more day by day as you go about actively doing mission work for Jesus. All right, our third P is promise. Promise. Notice in Luke 24, verse 49, Jesus says to his disciples, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry, that is, wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Jesus here says, hey, I promised you, this is back in John chapter 14, 15, 16, that he would send a helper, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, that would help them, that would empower them in order to teach the gospel, to know the truth and be guided into the truth. Now, we're going to get to the Holy Spirit um, here shortly when we're talking about the power of, uh, of the gospel to preach it in, uh, in, in mission territories. But let's just think for a moment about general promises, right? In this specific context, he promised the Holy Spirit. And of course, without the Holy Spirit, right, he's the greatest gift, the greatest promise that God the Father has bestowed upon us. But there's many promises in scripture that help us and aid us in preparation for mission. One of them, and probably the most pertinent promise in the context of the great commission to be missionaries in the world is Matthew 28, verse 20, where Jesus says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus wants to ensure that those who are going out as missionaries for him know that he is with them. He is with them through the Holy Spirit. He is with them in the heavenly sanctuary. He is with them through his angels surrounding us and guiding us into the mission fields. Isaiah 55 in verses 10 and 11, we read, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, 
but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. But here, this promise is amazing. Jesus says, look, I promise you that as you go out, sowing my word into the hearts of men and women, as you go out casting the seed, Jesus says, Isaiah says, it will not return to God empty. God promises that we will be successful as we go out. Isn't that awesome? Have you ever thought to yourself, well, you know, I don't know if I can do that thing. I don't know what that thing is for you. Maybe it's, I, I can't do that class. I can't meet that person because I'm, I'm intimidated by them. I can't do this, this task, whatever the task may be, because I'm scared of failing. Here, when it comes to being a missionary, Scripture makes it known that we can't fail, (laughs) that God will be with those. And sure, we may lose some battles along the way, but ultimately, God's word will prevail and there will be fruit. It's not all who respond to the gospel, but many will because God has confidence that his word has power to transform lives. Notice we read back in Christ's Object Lessons, page 363, when we give ourselves wholly to God and in our work follow his directions, he makes himself responsible for its accomplishment. He would not have us conjecture, that is to guess, as to the success of our honest endeavors. Not once should we even think of failure. For we are to cooperate with one who knows no failure. I love that. This should give us so much confidence, knowing that Jesus is with us, that his word promises success, that we shouldn't think of even failure. Jesus had many apparent failures throughout his ministry, but we know that ultimately he was successful in dying on the cross, and successful in planting the seed of the gospel in his disciples' hearts and through them into the whole world. Our next P is prayer, is prayer. Remember Jesus said that you need to wait, tarry in Jerusalem for the promise. And what was that promise? Of course, that was the Holy Spirit. But what did the disciples do in the meantime? What did they do during that 10 days as they were waiting in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost, for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Well, we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, that these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. What were they praying for? Well, we don't know exactly, word for word, what they were praying for, but it's quite clear from the context that there in the upper room, the disciples were praying for the Holy Spirit. They were praying for discernment. They were waiting for God to reveal to them clearly from Scripture exactly as they should, where they should go, how they should go, and and, and how they should perform mission and be prepared for it. Notice we read in Evangelism, page 342, Through much prayer you must labor for souls, for this is the, notice, only method by which you can reach hearts. The only method by which we can reach hearts is through prayer. 
Again, prayer is inviting, one of the main things it does is it invites Jesus into our hearts. Without me, remember Jesus says, you can do nothing. And so prayer does not bring God down to us, but brings us up to God so that he can illuminate our minds. And we pray in order to soften the hearts of the field that we are going to do mission work in. Notice in 1 Samuel chapter 12, Samuel um, says in verse 23, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in seeking to pray for you. Here Samuel said, hey, look, if I cease praying for the Israelites, it would be sin. Wow. Is that what we think about when we're preparing for mission or just in our everyday lives, that to neglect prayer would be sinning against God? That's a heavy thought. You see, again, without Christ, you can do nothing. You have to have him to prepare your hearts and the hearts of others before you. Three verses we're going to read from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians, Philippians, and Romans and just see how saturated his ministry was with prayer. Ephesians 1 verse 16, Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Then in Philippians 1, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. And then in Romans 1, for God is my witness that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. These three times, Paul makes it clear, I am always praying for the souls of those who I'm seeking to reach for Jesus. He prays before he meets them. He prays during his meeting with them. And he prays after he's preached to them, sincerely hoping that they hold on to the faith that was once delivered to the saints. This should be our constant practice in preparation and during all endeavors of missionary work. I'm going to share with you now briefly a story of prayer that I experienced on a plane. I've experienced a number of miraculous missionary, you know, divine appointments throughout my life, but this is one that holds a a, a close place in my heart because I was long ago back in college and I went to this, uh, this youth conference, it's called GYC, and I was just so excited about what I was learning at this conference and on my way back, um, I was flying an airplane and I was just so on fire and I said, man, I want to share my faith with people. And so before I got onto the plane, as I was waiting at the gate, I, I took a moment and I, I was very intentional, very fervent to ask God. And I, I prayed, I said, God, direct me on this plane to sit next to the person that you would have me sit next to. Because I want them to be ready and I want to be ready to witness to them on this, I think it was about a four hour plane ride. Right? So I was just so intentional to pray. I said, God, prepare me, prepare the person. And, and, and I, I boarded the plane. And it was one of those, uh, those, those plane rides where you, you could kind of sit wherever you want. And, and I was just walking and there was a few seats available still. And I sat down next to this woman. Her name was Kenedric. And I sat next to her and we started chatting. And I'm a very friendly person, especially on airplanes. 
Um, and I was chatting with her and we were going back and forth and she found out that I was in school, you know, studying theology and I was just at this Christian conference and things like that. And so she asked me some questions. She herself was a Christian and she asked me some questions about um, some certain, some Bible topics, right? And I began to share with her and long story short, over four hours, we had a basically four hour Bible study <laughs> on all sorts of topics and I was sharing with her exciting things that I had been learning in Scripture and answering her questions and showing her from the Bible um, what God's Word says about these things. And she was just so excited, and she shared with me that she had prayed that morning asking God to send someone into her life to direct her to truth in God's Word. <laughs> when she shared that, I was just blown away knowing that prayer truly works. And God orchestrated this divine appointment between two people that were praying, one longing for light from God's word, and another, myself, longing to share the light that I had learned from God's word. And I believe these are the kind of experiences that God wants all of us to have on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Another brief story I'll share is prayer for a friend. Prayer for a friend. There was a friend of mine that I grew up with. His name was Matt. And we went to summer camp together. So I saw him every summer, year after year after year. Well, we had a lot in common, in common during the summer camp weeks. However, our lives outside of summer camp were quite different. I went to Christian school and was regular in church and, and growing in my faith uh, and relationship with Jesus. Well, my friend Matt went to non-Christian schools and didn't go to church regularly. And his relationship with Christ was deteriorating away and wasn't really existing. Well, once I had a revival in my life, my first year of college, and I truly had this reconversion experience, this revival in my life, I could not help but share everything I was learning. I was sharing with people at, at lunchtime. I was sharing with people in the dorm room. I was just sharing, sharing, sharing. And God placed on my heart the burden to pray for people I was interacting with. And one of these people were my friend, was my friend Matt, who I had grown up with, who I knew was far, far, far from God so far in the world. And I committed to praying for him. And so I prayed for him day after day after day. And I would check in and I would call my friend Matt, who lived uh, far away from me where I was attending college, and I would ask him how he's doing and, and, and you know, kind of sense his spiritual receptivity. And, and he was not receptive at all. But I kept praying. For a year I prayed. For two years I prayed. Nothing, nothing. But one day there was a Facebook post that my friend Matt made, and Matt had hit rock bottom. He was realizing that he had, you know, he had just gone through a big breakup, and he was suffering from depression, and just at the bottom, he, he, he had his leg broke, broken by some people that he was fighting and things like that, and he was at rock bottom, and Matt posted on Facebook, man, I need something to believe in. I read that on Facebook, and I called up Matt. I said, Matt, I saw your post, man. I chatted with him. I shared, and, and long story short, I asked him if he would like to have Bible studies. And over the course of a year, I studied with Matt 
week after week, month after month, and after a year of studying the Bible with him, I had the absolute privilege of baptizing Matt into Christ. And now Matt is someone who posts all the time. About, I just saw a post last night about how much he loves God and is thankful for God's leading in his life. This was my first experience of constant, fervent prayer that over years paid dividends re- that I, w- I was able to reap fruit through being able to study with my friend Matt, leading to his baptism, leading to his conversion. And this is what God has in mind for us when he says prayer is a prerequisite for our preparation for mission. We must pray before, during, and consistently throughout all of our missionary endeavors. Another quotation from Christ's Object Lessons, we read, As we seek to win others to Christ, bearing the burdens of our souls in our prayers, our own hearts will throb with the quickening influence of God's grace. Our own affections will glow with more divine fervor. Our whole Christian life will be more of a reality, more earnest, more prayerful. This is the experience of those who consistently pray and who carry a burden for souls. Our next P is plan, is plan. We read in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus told them, he said, hey, look, I'm going to go. You guys wait in Jerusalem. You pray for the Holy Spirit, the power, the promise that the Father will give you, and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Here, Jesus was giving them a road map, a plan, a framework for their missionary endeavors. In the book of Acts, this is exactly the plan that the apostles, the disciples carried forward. Beginning in Jerusalem, they waited They prayed for the power, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And as they were filled with the Holy Spirit and prepared to preach the gospel on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, they began to spread the gospel from Jerusalem into Judea, into Samaria, where there was a lot of tension between Jews and Samaritans and Gentiles. But yet God said, that's where I want you to go. You need to have a plan, not just to preach to your own, but to go out into the unreached territories. All the way, Jesus said, into the end of the earth, the end of the world. After this, the disciples gathered together, waiting for the day of Pentecost. And, and there, another logistic, uh, and another way they planned for mission was they were impressed to say, hey, look, Jesus picked 12 disciples, but one of them, Judas, betrayed Christ and ended his own life. We now only have 11. And we believe that God is guiding us to replace Judas with another. And so they, 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 they planned it out and God led and guided to the picking of a 12th apostle. So in these ways, they were organizing, preparing themselves for mission. But another thing that I think is really important to emphasize and comment on is this. We can plan, we can prepare. It's important to, you know, sort of have a strategy, right, of how you're going to go and, you know, hand out literature, a plan of how you're going to, you know, share with your neighbor and be intentional about your missionary works or coordinating with your church. But it's also important to keep in mind that we need to be ready in season and out of season. 
Notice what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. He says, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. Friends, we need to be prepared, right? We have a plan for something, but we need to be able to be ready to sacrifice, lay down, surrender our plans to Jesus and say, Jesus, look, this is my plan. This is the best plan, you know, that, that I've got. But I'm open to you redirecting me, redirecting me, right, to doing something that I may not have seen coming. For example, we have the story in Acts of Philip. Philip uh, was a deacon, and he was a disciple of Jesus, and he was on a missionary journey. But he didn't quite know exactly where God was directing him until, through prayer, God revealed himself to him through the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord in Acts 8, verse 26, spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Philip didn't know exactly what or where he was going. Just, okay, I'm just going to follow. And then in verse 29, the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. Right? So Philip, he doesn't have a plan. He's just listening to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says, go this way. Okay, now I'm here. I don't know what's next. And then the Spirit says, you know, directs him, impresses him. We don't know exactly if it was vocal or internal. And, and, and it says, hey, look, you see that guy? Ride that Ethiopian eunuch riding that chariot? Yeah, go up to that man and ask him. I want you to have a divine appointment. And there Philip ran up to this Ethiopian man and, and heard him reading from the prophet Isaiah. And he asked him, do you understand what you are reading? And then he responded, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. Then Philip opened his mouth and began, and beginning at this scripture, Isaiah 53, preached Jesus to him. Amazing. This was a divine appointment, a impromptu missionary experience that Philip wasn't planning for, but he was ready in season and out of season. And God guided him to a certain person that was key in bringing the gospel down to the south. All right, our next P is power. Power. Notice in Acts chapter 1, uh, we've referenced it a few times now, but Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Power. Notice what we read of in Ministry of Healing. Uh, nothing is more needed in our work than the practical result of communion with God. This will impart to the worker a power that nothing else can give. Of this power, he must not allow himself to be deprived. Again, as I mentioned earlier, without Jesus, without the power of the Holy Spirit, our missionary endeavors are in vain. Notice what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, speaking of the last days. He says, Know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be, and then he says, lovers of self, blasphemers, haughty, etc., etc. And then he says in verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying its what? Its power. See, the greatest temptation for those who claim the name of Christ 
is to practice a form of godliness. Dress up for church, wear a tie, wear a dress, carry a Bible around, act spiritual, but yet not have a living connection and relationship with Jesus. This is one of our greatest dangers um, as Christians, but we must have true power if we're going to be successful. Notice what A.W. Tozer famously said. He said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. Whoa. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. This is quite the rebuke to us today. Think of it. The book of Acts, over and over and over again, it says the Holy Spirit guided, the Holy Spirit directed. It really should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Everything was done through the power of the Holy Spirit. But today, we're doing a lot in church, but is it really empowered by the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit were to withdraw itself from our churches, from our everyday Christian experience, would there be much change in what we're doing? These are, this is a sobering thought to consider. But when the disciples went and preached on the day of Pentecost, notice the power in which they preached. They went about to the very people who killed Jesus. And they said these words, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, keyword, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Whoa! Think of that. You're going to the people that killed Jesus. And he said, yeah, yeah, you killed Jesus, and guess what? He's God. He is the Lord. And that Lord still offers you forgiveness. And the people cried out, convicted to their cores, what must we do? And Peter responded, repent, and be baptized, forsake your sins, and commit your lives to Jesus. This is the power of the gospel, friends. If we didn't believe that the gospel had power, we have no business preaching in the name of Jesus. We have to believe that the gospel truly has power to change lives. And when we preach, this should be the result. People should be convicted to the core that it's their sins that crucified Christ, but yet... That very crucifixion offers them a way of forgiveness and pardon, a way of salvation. Beautiful, beautiful. Notice what the, the, the lesson says. Working together in harmony with the Holy Spirit and each other, these followers of Jesus preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins, even for those who could have been directly involved in crucifying Jesus. That's the power of the gospel. If that message doesn't motivate us to mission, what will? We are called to spread the gospel to the world, a sinful, fallen, corrupt world with sinful, fallen, and corrupt people. Our job is not to judge. Our job is to witness to the power, excuse me, witness to the saving power of Jesus. Amen. Notice what 
Ellen White says in, Mish, in Ministry of Healing. She says, By the power of his grace manifested in the transformation of character, the world is to be convinced that God has sent his Son as its Redeemer. No other influence can surround the human soul, uh, excuse me, can surround the human soul has such power as the influence of an unselfish life. The strongest argument in favor of the gospel is a loving and lovable Christian. Woo! Are you letting God's love be lived out in your life? Sure, it's one thing to say, Jesus, I love him, I'm sharing my testimony. It's sure it's one thing to say, hey, this is what the word of God says. Sure, it's one thing to preach in the name of Jesus, but does your life reflect the character of Jesus? Have you let the Holy Spirit transform your life and turned you into a loving and lovable Christian? The strongest argument we read in favor of the gospel is a loving and lovable Christian. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. Let your light shine into the world. Our next point is persecution. Our next and last point is persecution. Notice in the book of Acts, all throughout Acts, those who are preaching the gospel experience persecution. After the first Christian martyr um, died in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, Saul was consenting to his death. It says, at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were scattered all throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Persecution scattered the disciples. We read uh, of Jesus in the, last beati- in the last beatitude in Matthew chapter five, 5. He says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see, friends, before, in preparation for mission, we have to keep in mind the reality that all those who live for Christ will suffer as Christ suffered, will be persecuted as Christ was persecuted. If we go into this thing thinking, oh, it's, it's good, there's, there's not going to be any obstacles, Sure, we should, we should go in not thinking of failure, knowing that the power of the gospel is, is before us. The Holy Spirit will guide in all of these positive things. But it's also important to keep in mind that there will be confrontations with Satan, with the enemies of the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, when you bump heads, when you reach those times of persecution, rejoice because you know that you're headed on the right track. Our last verse that I want to read together, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, Jesus, uh, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. You see, Jesus was the great missionary. And Jesus went to the cross. Jesus was persecuted. Jesus suffered shame. He endured the cross. And what motivated him? What motivated Jesus through the cross? It says, for the joy that was before him. And friends, the joy of Jesus was you. The joy of Jesus 
is seeing you and being with you in eternity forever. Jesus went through the pain of the cross because of the people he knew he would get to spend eternity with in heaven. This is our ultimate motivation. Yes, the love of Jesus motivates us, but that love for God should be translated into love for people. We should look at people and say and think to ourselves, unless they hear and accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will be lost. They will be doomed to an eternal death. And so these sobering thoughts should encourage us and say, whatever the cost, I'm ready and willing, I'm prepared for persecution, I'm prepared to cling to the promises of Christ, I'm prepared to cling to the prophecies of Scripture and to go out and preach the gospel, whatever may fall. And this is what this week is all about, challenging us to be motivated and prepared for mission. One more slide here. I just want to share with you four books that are some great resources for personal evangelism. Uh, You can take a picture, uh, look them up. These are great resources and tools in order to study uh, how to do mission. Thank you so much for your, uh, your attention. Let's pray to close. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together, and I pray that all these people listening to this presentation may be motivated and prepared for mission in their field in which you send them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget to request today's life-changing free resource. Not only can you receive this free gift in the mail, you can download a digital copy straight to your computer or mobile device. To get your digital copy of today's free gift, simply text the keyword on your screen to 40544 or visit the web address shown on your screen. And be sure to select the digital download option on the request page. It's now easier than ever for you to study God's Word with amazing facts wherever and whenever you want. And most important, to share it with others.